Good morning. Let's turn to John chapter 4 again. It may be a new year, but we're going to uh, we find ourselves in the same old chapter. But we are coming to the end of chapter 4 of John. You know, I still find it amazing that in spite of the passing of time and all the changes that come with that, we have the privilege of studying a word from God that never changes. Prophet Isaiah declares the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The psalmist affirms the same. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And Ray Atkinson continues to remind us, we study it not to get smarter, but to be transformed. Transformed from the inside out, so that our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions and reactions become more like Jesus. John chapter 4 is predominantly a story of Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman. Verse 8 is a parenthetical statement that is crucial to understanding the contextual information that we need. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So from a Jewish perspective, this was a, this was a despised Samaritan woman. And yet Jesus took the initiative to engage her in a conversation that became transformational for this despised, immoral, marginalized Samaritan woman. In verses 1 through 6, we discovered that building bridges can tear down walls, even walls of hostility that have stood the test of time. And it was within this context that Jesus provided us with an example to follow. Verses 7 to 38, we learned that building bridges that lead to spiritual conversations requires intentionality. Remember, to think a thing and to say a thing does not necessarily mean that it is done. Following through on our good bridge-building intentions will require us to avoid those personal distractions like prejudices and preoccupations, to keep it simple and to make it a priority. Last week, we focused on verses 39 to 42, where we saw the power of a personal, te- the power of a personal testimony is found in the ripple effect. The Samaritan woman shared her discovery with, with others and invited them to, to come and see a man. They came, heard for themselves, believed him, and declared him to be the savior of the world. You see, the ripple ripple effect began with, with belief in him, continued with a desire for him, and ended with the development of personal convictions about him. So this morning, we want to give our attention to verses 43 to 54. Jesus and his disciples have moved on. 
They've continued to, to head north, arriving in their home province of Galilee. Home sweet home. We can all relate, can't we? It's always great to, to get away, escape for a few days into the warmth. <laughs> Leave the, the work and the daily routines behind. Maybe visit some family or even grandchildren. Spend time with some old friends and faraway places. It can be refreshing, but it's always good to come home. To our familiar bed and, and all that's familiar in those surroundings. But coming home can also present a challenge. A challenge to live as ambassadors for Christ in the presence of those who know us best. That was Jesus' experience. Once back in his home province, Jesus faced the challenges of a home sweet home ministry. The rule, the reality, and the restrictions. You and I need to be prepared to face these same challenges as we attempt to be ambassadors for Christ at home sweet home in the presence of those who know us best. It will not be easy, but it is possible. Please stand with me for the reading of the scripture this morning, if you're able. I'd like to begin at verse 39 of John chapter 4. From that city, many Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore, he came to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when they began to get better. Then they said to him, 
Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. You may be seated, please. Father, the the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever. What a gracious gift and opportunity we have been given to study this eternal word. Forgive us for our laissez-faire approaches to these inspired, inspired scriptures. May your spirit enable us to have eyes that see and ears that hear, even wills that are determined to respond in obedience to the things we, we learn about ourselves, about you, about your plans and purposes. Give us courage and strength. Keep us from being derailed by the fear of man and or discouragement. Use this story of Jesus' return home to Galilee to prepare us for the challenges that we are sure to face as we attempt to be people of influence right here at home in the presence of people who know us best. We are ambassadors for Christ. Enable us by our words and our deeds to be introducing others to the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to believers at the church in Corinth. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making an appeal through us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. But being Christ's ambassadors at home sweet home is a challenge. Why? Because of the rule. Notice verse 44. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. The NIV verse 44 is presented as a parenthetical statement. And so the Apostle John is actually inserting something that Jesus had said on a previous occasion because he thought that this would help his future readers to understand the significance of this particular story. The statement It almost sounds like a proverb, doesn't it? And remember, proverbs are generalities. They are not statements of fact. Proverbs are often short, pithy statements so that they stick in our minds. They present observable observations. In other words, nine out of ten times, this you can expect to be true. A prophet is without honor in his own country. In the Old Testament, the prophet was called and empowered to speak on God's behalf. So the 
the priest. He's the, the people's representative before their God. The prophet, he's God's representative before his people. Take Jeremiah for example. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. I'll begin reading at verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. So Jeremiah was a, a prophet called, empowered, and commissioned by God Almighty to speak on his behalf. And yet Jeremiah was a prophet that had no honor among his own people. In fact, he faithfully ministered for over 42 years with no visible results. Appropriately, he became known as the weeping prophet. And I hope and pray that I never have the opportunity to earn a label like that, the weeping pastor. Can you imagine 42 years, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and no visible results. Nothing happens. What is honor? My thesaurus, my thesaurus gives me some possible substitutions for the word honor. Acclamation, applause, accolades, tributes, compliments, praise, recognition. None of that was waiting for Jesus as he returned home to Galilee. And what is the opposite of honor on the other end of the spectrum? Contempt. The Greek word is actually time and carries with it the idea of worth or, or value. There was a day when Wayne Gretzky was considered one of Canada's national treasures. When he was playing for the Edmonton Oilers, there was nowhere Wayne could go where he wasn't teammate or honored. It's interesting that this word is never used again in the Gospel of John. In fact, we don't find it in any of his epistles either. And yet, when we come to the book of Revelations, he uses it six times. Let me give you a couple of examples. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 reads, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor, Timae, 
and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Then in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, John provides this description. See, I think catches a glimpse into heaven. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. They sang a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, time, and glory and blessing. So generally speaking, according to Jesus, prophets never receive that kind of reception in their own country, among their own people. I think we have a similar saying. It goes something like this. Familiarity breeds contempt. Do you know where that saying comes from? Have any idea where it originated from? One of Aesop's fables. Specifically, the fox and the lion. When at first the fox saw the lion, he was terribly frightened, ran away and hid himself in the wood. Next time, however, he came near the king of the beast. He stopped at a safe distance and watched him pass by. The third time they came near one another, the fox went straight up to the lion, passed the time of day with him, asked him how his family were and when they should have the pleasure of seeing one another again. Then turning his tail, he parted from the lion without much ceremony. And the moral of the story? Familiarity breeds contempt. Clearly, Jesus was not seeking any kind of honor. If that were the case, he would have stayed in the province of Samaria. Remember verse 39? And many Samaritans believed in him because of the word, the woman who testified. Verse 40. They begged him to stay in their village. Verse 41. Many more believed because of his word. Verse 42, we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Certainly, these despised Samaritans had honored him. And yet, knowing what he knew, being fully aware of the rule, a prophet has no honor in his own country. Knowing all of that, Jesus returned home to the province of Galilee. Ambassadors for Christ are not always appreciated or celebrated. Jesus came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. John chapter 1, verse 11. We've already mentioned Jeremiah's experience. And what about the Apostle Paul? Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. And once I was stoned. As ambassadors for Christ, seeking honor is not an appropriate motivator for ministry. Especially at home sweet home. 
among those who know us best. It wasn't for Jesus, and neither can it be for you and I. And Jesus actually exposed this temptation in Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. He goes on to say, And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Turn with me just for a moment to Matthew chapter 10. This is a difficult passage for you and I to hear, but it is true. Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came, and now he's quoting the prophet Micah, for I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own house. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. My point is, don't expect to be honored at home sweet home. The distance between our expectations and reality, that distance is where disappointment and discouragement grows. So instead of looking for honor or words of appreciation, respect or applause, determine to respond or to be the faithful ambassadors for Christ that he's empowered us to be, regardless of how others might respond. Here are a couple of verses that I include in my my daily prayer list. Actually, I included a number of years ago, and I pray them for my oldest son and his wife, Patricia. You'll remember that Josiah is serves as the associate pastor at Church of the Open Bible in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. The first is Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for men. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, the end of the verse says, We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. The closer we get to home, the greater the challenge. Why? Because of the rule. A prophet has no honor in his home country. And yet that doesn't change the fact. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. Being Christ's ambassador at home sweet home is a challenge. Because of the rule, 
And because of the reality, look at verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Almost seems like a contradiction. But these Galileans received him because of all these things that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. New American Standard Bible reads, the Galileans received him, but the NIV reads, the Galileans welcomed him. Clearly, Jesus was received or welcomed without honor. And this kind of receiving is nothing new. Turn back with me to the end of chapter 2. Verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at that Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. This kind of belief in him that the Galileans had brought with them back to Galilee from the Passover feast in Jerusalem. It was a superficial belief, a belief that recognized Jesus as a, as a miracle worker who had done some amazing things, things like saving a wedding by changing water into wine, and not just wine, but the very best wine. Or like the time that he fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, using just five loaves of bread and two fish. Listen to Matthew's commentary of Jesus' ministry here in his home province of Galilee. Jesus was going through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Wow. As a miracle worker, the evidence was overwhelming. But these homies, they weren't about to honor him or accept him as the Savior of the world. As the Samaritans had done on his way back to his home province. But his ability to perform miracles was undeniable. They believed in him, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew it was in their hearts. In John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with man by the name of Nicodemus, a leader from within the Jewish religious establishment. And notice Nicodemus' admission in verse 2. For no one can do these things or these signs that you do unless God is with him. Then notice Jesus' response. Unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Drop down to verse 7. 
You must be born again. Later, as John thought about this conversation, this Jesus Nicodemus conversation, reflected on it, he offers some really neat insights, beginning at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but the world might believe through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This really takes us back full circle to the Apostle John's purpose for writing this gospel account as recorded in John chapter 20, verse 31. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And that's eternal life, both now and forever. You see, God requires a belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Nothing more and nothing less. Believing in him means that you are absolutely convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be, did what the scriptures say he did, and will do what he promised he will do. It's the whole package. Welcoming him home. Receiving him as a great miracle worker. That's nice. But it's not enough. But as many as received him, to them gave he right the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. And to those who believe in the whole package, to those, Jesus will entrust himself. As ambassadors for Christ, our faithfulness is not to be dependent on the reception or responsiveness of others. Jesus, Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul, all examples of individuals who remain faithful while receiving no honor at home sweet home amongst those who knew them best. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 may be a verse worth committing to memory. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I know it will be a challenge, but we can remain faithful regardless of the reception or the responsiveness of others. Before leaving this point, I do want to want us to recognize that these Galileans, they're, they're not bad people. They're just ordinary folks like you and I. But the response to Jesus should cause us to, to kind of sit back, reflect on our own familiarity breeds contempt tendencies. Specifically in our relationship with God. 
I think that we can all agree that we live in a, an extremely consumeristic culture where our insatiable appetites for more and more are celebrated, promoted, and even nurtured. And so as we look around, it's easy to find examples of where our culture has, has squeezed us into its mold, even amongst evangelicalism. Our theological perspectives are the way we do church, even our responsibilities or reactions to one another, our worship and our Christian service, it's going to take some real intentionality on our part if we're going to avoid becoming Christianized consumers. Let's allow these home sweet home Galileans to spur us on not just in faithfulness, regardless of the responsiveness of others, but, but also in giving Jesus the honor he deserves as the Christ, the Son of God. We need to fight that familiarity breeds contempt tendency that when mixed with that consumerism, leaves us with a God who functions more like our own personal vending machine, distributing signs and wonders to improve the the quantity and quality of of my life, serve my interests, fulfill my hopes and dreams. For sure, he's a miracle-working God. But that's all for the purpose of accomplishing his plans and purposes. For his glory, not mine and not yours. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. But being Christ's ambassador at home sweet home is a challenge. Because of the rule, because of the reality, and because of the restrictions. Notice verse 46. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. Initially, the, the royal official approaches Jesus as a desperate dad in need of a miracle. Notice verse 47. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. His position of privilege and being attached to the ruling class wasn't offering a solution for his dying son. Power, prestige, wealth, they can take us only so far. They're temporal. And they may present some advantages along the way. But in the end, still the desperate dad. You may want to underline the word was imploring. It seems that this desperate dad is not willing to be denied. He's making multiple requests. He's persisting. 
In his mind, no is not an option. And who would blame him? What parent of a dying child would not understand where he's coming from? This desperate dad had just walked 17 miles uphill. That's about a five and a half, six hour walk one way because he heard the miracle worker had returned to Judea, the Cana of Galilee. Obviously, his son would have never survived the trip. He was left in Capernaum. And so this desperate dad had been forced to make the trip alone. How do you read verse 48? So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. You know, some commentators understand this as a critique, a rebuke of the man's request. I don't see it. For one thing, Jesus is addressing the Galileans, not just the dad with the sick boy. It says, you people. It's plural. He's defining reality. Remember Max Dupree's quote? First responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. And in between the two, you are both servant and debtor. Jesus was telling it like it is. These Galileans were stuck in a signs and wonders belief. They wanted nothing more and nothing less. That's quite a contrast with what Jesus had found in that province of Samaria, among those whom, whom the Jews had no dealings, those, those despised Samaritans. There, Jesus had uncovered genuine, authentic, believing faith with minimal evidence about his true identity. Oh yeah, he told a woman about some of her hidden past and and then claimed to be the Messiah. But that was it. The result, many and many more believed that he was indeed the Savior of the world. Amazing. But here, back home in in Galilee, in the presence of his own people, was a different story. Perhaps Jesus saw it as a as a teachable moment that he just couldn't pass up. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. At this point, the royal official's patience was wearing a little thin. In verse 49, he's no longer asking or imploring. Verse 49 is an imperative. He's actually commanding Jesus. Sir, come down before my child dies. He's still being respectful. But it's no longer optional. And Jesus 
unbelievable, responds with a command of his own. Go, your son lives. Now those who cover competitive sporting events will sometimes make a reference to the the turning point of the game. It's that moment where, where something happens and there's a major shift in momentum that actually determines the outcome of the game. It's the turning point of the game. And I'm telling you, we are standing on the turning point of the story at this moment. And the desperate father who believed in him as the signs and wonders guy, believed the word that Jesus spoke and started off. So the royal official, in an act of faith, obeyed Jesus' command. It's a turning point in the story. The author of the book of Hebrews provides a clear and concise definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, defines faith. John chapter 4, verse 50, provides a living, breathing example of what faith might look like in real life where the rubber meets the road. The royal official honored Christ by obeying and believing him along with his entire household. Look at verse 51. As he's now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday at this seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus had had said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. The royal official and his household believed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And believing, they had life in his name, eternal life, both now and forever. It's an amazing story. He left Capernaum looking for a miracle for his dying son. And he returned home to a living son and eternal life for himself and his entire household. As I read this account, I'm reminded of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God is so gracious, so patient with our slowness to believe. As ambassadors for Christ, we are to be patiently consistent. Folks, we can only do what we can do. 
Maybe a better word would have been limitation, but I needed another R word. So I went with restriction. But we are limited when it comes to changing a human heart. That's God's business. But there are three expressions of the Christian life that are clearly within our circles of influence. These are things that you and I can do something about. We can control. Demonstration, proclamation, celebration. And it would be my recommendation when it comes to being Christ's ambassadors at home sweet home, that they're kept in that specific order. Demonstration, proclamation, celebration. First and foremost, demonstrate your unique relationship with God week after week, day after day, month after month, year after year. The desperate dad came looking for a miracle. And the miracle that you and I can offer those who know us best is the miracle of a transformed life our own, working at our salvation, working out our salvation as God works in us. Now you and I will, we know that we're always going to be far from perfect. But our unique relationship with God enables us to respond differently to our less than perfectness. I was wrong. For, name the sin, Will you forgive me? We didn't allow our sons to use the word sorry at home. When they made a mistake, they did something wrong, that's how they had to respond. I was wrong. Name the sin. Please forgive me. A consistent demonstration of our unique relationship with God will win us opportunities and give us credibility to make the proclamations of the gospel and share God's word. Finally, we celebrate by consistently recognizing God and his involvement in our lives. And that's it. Demonstration, proclamation, celebration. And we've reached the end of the runway. Venturing beyond this point, we're starting to do God's business, man's way. In other words, we're beginning to build with wood, hay, and stubble. And that kind of fruit just doesn't last. People can change. But you and I are limited or restricted to changing the man or the woman in the mirror. And even then, we're completely dependent on God and His Word. As Christ's ambassadors at home sweet home, among the people who know us the best, the best that we can be is patiently consistent, hoping and praying for an exception to the rule so that those who we love will someday respond and honor Christ, Jesus, as the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing they would have life in his name We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Being Christ's ambassador at home sweet home is a challenge. 
because of the rule, because of the reality, and because of the restrictions or limitations on us when it comes to changing a human heart. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And indeed, he does just that. Let's pray. Father, you have reconciled us to yourself and entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. What a gift. So undeserved. Thank you for John's Gospel and the opportunity we've been given to study and reflect on these events in the life of Jesus. Allow this story of Jesus' ministry at Home Sweet Home among the people who knew him best to be a source of encouragement and equip us for ministry among the people who know us best. Thank you for the hope that that royal official and his household offer. As a result of a desperate dad with a dying son, they were able to all cross over from death to life. Enable us to be Christ's ambassadors, not seeking to be honored, but faithful regardless of the return on our investments, and patiently consistent so that others will see you in us. By your power and for your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.